can be seated. Hear the themes of, of hope in that psalm. Because the Lord is who he is, that he is filled with steadfast love and plenteous or, or sufficient redemption. Uh, because his word to us is a word of grace, we can hope. And I hope you heard the, the verbs in there. Someone whose heart is filled with hope is someone who waits on the Lord, who just waits for the Lord to move, to act, to be gracious, and someone who watches for that movement and that acting, like a watchman waiting for the sun to rise. Their heart is waiting and hopeful and ready and observant that the Lord might move on their behalf. What you're going to hear this morning is six folks talking about what they have seen as they have waited on and hoped in the grace of God together. All right, sometimes we have folks who arrive and they're in a very consuming posture and they come to church for what they can get. Sometimes we have folks who arrive and they are in a giving posture and they are here to give and to give and to give. Angel is one of those folks who has arrived with us within the last year and has said, if there is any way that I can be loving the person next to me and serving this church, whatever that looks like, I am in and I am ready to serve. So it's been a great joy to receive him, and he's going to come and just share a little bit about God's grace to him. Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew Garcia. Um, I'm a student over at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and I've had the pleasure of attending Seven Mile Road over the past uh, few months, starting um, in the latter part of this summer. So, um, so yeah, my testimony on the promise of hope that God has placed in my heart over the course of this year is based off of First John four seventeen uh, through eighteen. Um, so, I'll just go ahead and read that. Um, By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Um, Have you ever read words in the Bible that made you angry? Um, Until recently, these verses in 1 John uh, actually uh, made me feel kind of angry. Um, um, and I'll explain why that is, but, uh, um, yeah, what I want to share uh, today is that, um, what God has done for me over this, uh, past year in terms of giving me hope, um, has probably been one of the most beautiful and gracious things that God has ever done for me. And that's what he's done is cultivate in me a hope for heaven in a way that I've never had before. Um, until this year, my hope in heaven was consistently overcome by an overwhelming sense of fear. All I could think about was Judgment Day and how scary it would be to come to face, face-to-face with, yes, our loving God, but also an infinitely holy God. I cannot help but feel as though I needed to pre- prepare myself from source, some sort of sneak attack from God on Judgment Day, where God will show me all these sins that I didn't know I committed, or worse, I'd be just absolutely overwhelmed and come to despair because of the depth of my sin. Um, I knew this wasn't completely true, and coming face-to-face with God's holiness would actually serve to cultivate a stronger and purer love towards him than to cause me to despair in my sin. 
but it was hard for me to believe this. And that's why verses like this in 1 John 4 made me angry, made me scared. Um, one of the main reasons I think I had this warped view of heaven and of God's judgment is because of my struggles with perfectionism. Not only do I have an innate desire to depend on myself as a result of my sin, but um, as a result of growing up in a broken home, I basically depended on myself to satisfy my needs, my desires, and my dreams. There was no room for me to be broken or imperfect because that meant I had no one else to depend on. Even after God graciously showed me my sin, brokenness, and my need for Christ in college, sanctification basically became a new job, and I tended to live as though I was the only person qualified to fulfill it. And yet, deep down, I knew I wasn't up to the task. So after years of trying to depend on myself um, to become more like Christ, God has graciously allowed some difficult obstacles, decisions, um, trials over the course of this year that caused me to really come to face with my limitations and my sins, especially the sin of fearing others, fearing man more than fearing God. This left me no choice to depend on but to depend on him and to depend on his abundant grace for me in Christ. And in the process, God has put in me a thirst, an inward groaning for heaven, for that place where imperfection, brokenness, and sin cease to exist, where I no longer have to question my intentions, my motivations, or the depth of my love for God and his people. And there's still a little bit of residual fear as I say this, but I can honestly say before all of you today that I'm really, really hoping, and, and just can't wait for Jesus to come back. Um, and I can't describe to you how much of a grace that is um, in order for me to say that, um, especially in the midst of one of the most difficult years of my life. So I pray that our hope for heaven will continue to deepen our love for Jesus, who purchases hope for us when we have nothing to offer but our sin and brokenness. And it's actually my understanding that we'll be preaching on the doctrines of heaven next year, um, I'm super stoked for that, so I'm really looking forward to that. But um, yeah, praise be to God. Thank you. Next is Laura, who we are sending, and it's just going to feel like like you know a big, irreplaceable void in our souls. Uh, if anyone has driven the women and the men of this church toward just a ferocious love for dependence on God and the desire to be holy like it's holy, it's been Laurel. And uh, on top of all that, last week, this woman killed a mouse with a frying pan and her bare hands. <laughs> Boom! So she is not only holy, she is strong and fearless, and I love her. And she's going to come up and uh, and share with you. I hope there's no mouse lovers in the house. Sorry about that. I heard that uh, Christine Coughlin did that as well. So I'm not the only mouse killer. Um, before I begin, I wanted to say a huge thank, thank you um, to all of you for the wonderful sending that you gave us last week. Um, we are so very grateful for all of the love and the care that you expressed to us um, and, and to our family. Obviously, we're still here. <laughs> we haven't left yet. Um, I was also really thankful for the opportunity to speak this morning uh, because in the chaos of moving and packing, it has given me the chance to pause and to reflect on how good God has been 
not just in the past year, but in the past nine years of being at Seven Mile Road. Uh, God's grace has been so very evident in the past nine years. And the main evidence of grace that I have seen is this church. Um, It is through this church that I have come to see the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the word, and the beauty that is the church. You, family, have consistently taught me and modeled for me what it looks like to live a life that is centered on Jesus and his gospel. You have shown me what it looks like to serve and to be hospitable. You have shown me, I'm going to lose my place. You have shown me what it looks like to be a friend and to lay down your life for the good of others. You have taught me about prayer, love for Jesus, and love for the word. You have taught me how to value my womanhood, and you've taught me that being a wife and a mom is a high and beautiful calling. You have modeled for me what it looks like to be a godly wife and a, and a faithful mom. You've shown me what it looks like to confess sin and to come into the light. You have shown me what it looks like to give and to receive grace and forgiveness. You've shown me what it looks like to be free in Jesus. You've shown me how to love and to engage neighbors with the gospel, and you've shown me how to rely on the Spirit's leadership every day. We owe, I owe, such a huge debt of gratitude to all of you for the ways that you have consistently pointed us to Jesus and his gospel. All the times when you have told me to look up and see Jesus and his sufficiency. And when I see all that God has done through all of you over the years, I see how amazingly good God is. How good he was to have brought our family here, to have given us a church that has really become our family. So the main evidence of grace that I've seen over the past nine years has been God's provision of all of you. In the past year, as we have explored the possibility of moving to Buffalo and joining a different church family there, I was pretty rocked at the thought of it. Um, In this year, I have been forced to wrestle with the basic questions of, do I actually trust God? Do I really believe that God is all that I need? Do I believe that God is in control of all of the unknowns of life And do I really believe that he is always good? So I am learning greater dependency on the Father. I am learning that God is all that I need. And I'm learning again and again that he is the provider, that he is good, and that he loves me. Uh, So just some examples. In this year, he has consistently helped Matt and me to stay unified, even in the stress of decision-making and trying to figure out which way God was leading and all of the many logistics that go into moving a family to a different state, buying and selling homes. Um, Matt and I have been on the same page. We've been unified, which is such grace from God. Uh, God provided a house for us in Buffalo that is two doors down from another Community of Grace church family. So we already have a gospel community in the making just because of where God planted us. Uh, We were praying and hoping that God would provide a seven-mile road family to buy our house in Melrose so that our neighbors could continue to be loved and engaged with the gospel. And God God provided the Ha family, uh, our dear seven-mile road friends, to buy our home. 
And in the whole emotional process of telling people and grieving the loss of all of you, I have found God to be such a safe place. Uh, He has been caring for my heart so beautifully. He has been helping me to grieve, and he's been helping me to rejoice. I have probably seen more than ever in this past year that he knows just what I need and when I need it, and he is always good. And so as I look to the future, and I have no idea what it will look like or how our new church family will be or if I'll even like our new church family, uh, I rest in the fact that Even when our lives change, we follow a God who does not change, a God who is always good and who is always doing what is best for his children. His promises are true. His word is true. The gospel is true. And his love for me and for us is real. And he is all that we need. Being a pastor is one of these wild roller coaster rides. So I imagine you can feel how encouraging it can be sometimes, a day like today, to baptize someone we've been discipling is just a joy. You may not know this, but it can be incredibly discouraging at times. We could go through some text messages on that phone right there together later on if you want to feel some of that. In his grace, the father is always looking out for his sons and daughters. And in his love for me, he gave us Matt and Mara last year. Uh, If you said to me, who have been some of the most encouraging folks to become a part of this church, Matt and Mara would immediately come to mind. Their hunger to love God with all that they've got and to love you and to love this city with us has been such a great encouragement. Um, So Matt is going to come and grab the mic and share with us. With no notes at all. Man, all right. Hold on. No notes. Do it. Hi. um, So Mara, my wife, we have two children, Elias and Ada. You see them running in circles probably. I was going to write notes. Um, I woke up early this morning and made myself some tea which was odd. I don't drink tea, so I should have known. Um, But I wanted to tell you two things. This past year has been very difficult for us, but to reiterate what Laurel said, this church family has come around us, our community group, um, pastors, prayer, money, support. Right now, our meal schedule is filling up rather quickly, so thank you because that has been a huge blessing. Mara is struggling to move a lot, and she is a huge part of our family dynamic. So the other thing, I woke up early, I was going to write some stuff down, and I drew a blank. All the blessings and wonderful grace that God has given us, and I drew a blank. And then something rather wonderful happened. So I'm going to tell you the story of this morning. (laughs) My son, Elias, he's seven. He woke up early and he immediately wanted to play a video game. And so he set the tone for the rest of the morning. And I was angry because we fight over this video game a lot. 
So when Mara got up, she said, why don't you guys go get donuts, try and save this morning, bring some joy back into this weekend because we've all been sick and it's been really hard. So we went in to get donuts. I was rather happy that the, air con- the heat had to be on full blast because I didn't have to try and have communication with my son. <laughs> and we ended up fighting the whole way back. And what's interesting is at one point, Mara came in and said, you both are acting like children. (laughs) So we sat down, both of us crying, and we realized that we had hurt somebody that we really loved. And this sort of brought full circle. Mara and I prayed together at the beginning of this year, and we said, God, Show us our sin so that we can be forgiven. And this morning was perfect. Um, We are in the midst of still pursuing this. A lesson that I don't think is going to end anytime soon, but I can attest to you there is no greater joy than that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for our sins. Have you ever met someone that there's this circle around them of sweetness and kindness and affection and love, and you just want to sneak your way into that circle close to the center of it? Okay, so KDU is that person. Um, She has been a rock in the life of this church for years since we arrived here. Persistently, consistently, moving to whoever needs to be loved so that she might love them. And sometimes you learn by hearing, and sometimes you learn by just observing. And it has been such a corrective and such a delight to watch someone just say, is there anyone in a circle around me that I can love right now? And to bring that kind of gospel-driven affection week after week after month after year. So I rejoice in God's grace to us through her. She's been having some big-time contractions in the last 24 hours. So if she only gets halfway through her thing, you know what's going on. She may cry too, but she started that already. Yeah, Baby number four may be here sometime this weekend, but we'll see. Good morning. I wrote a couple notes. I tend to wax. (laughs) Um, I'm very grateful to have the chance to share with you this morning because, for one, it's always right and good to glorify God with the amazing things he does in your life. Um, But secondly, because it forced me to stop and remember all the great things he's done um, and to dwell on what it actually means to be faithful, God's faithfulness. What is that? Um, his grace, what is that? Does it first came to mind was yeah, I was just struck and convicted. It does not mean getting everything you want when you want it. It doesn't mean watching life unfold the way you expect it to. Um, it doesn't mean walking through life without pain, uh, loss, confusion even. Um, 
So I felt like that reminder just brought me back to um, the essence of what faithfulness and grace meant, which it was, um, regardless of circumstance, the joyous, the sad, the sorrowful, um, it's seeing his promises remain true and being able to glorify God and praise him in all of that. Um, promises like that he will never leave me or forsake me. Promises like the cross was the one and done, my debt paid forever and always. The work has been done. So no matter what happens to me or to someone else, it's done. And we have rejoicing in that. Um, promises like, come to me when you are weary and I will give you rest. Man, that promise over and over again is just amazing to me. Promises that um, his word never comes back void. That is one of the most powerful little sentences in the Bible for me because I've seen it over and over again. When someone is exposed to the gospel, they may walk away, but that seed has been planted and it will not come back void. And I have watched that over and over again. My list of promises that I hold to are lengthy, um, but it's in those promises and in my everyday that um, I've been able to see God's faithfulness because those promises don't change regardless of how I'm feeling or what's going on. Um, so in this way I, I've seen his faithfulness over and over again and I'm so grateful because I know it's only by his work in me throughout my life I feel like we've had devastating loss of people who we feel like should never have died at 24 or 18 or 40 or we've had sadness um, but I've been able to see the glory of God in it in his hand and um, I went through a very, very dark time. I was married, and um, I was divorced at a young age in my late 20s. And it was one of the darkest times of my life because I really had to grapple with, Lord, this was a holy marriage in your name. And it was we who failed, and I had to see that. It wasn't God who failed. It was we who failed. But in, in the workings of that darkness, there was also great hope and light and growth. I gave up a lot of things in my mind, not knowing that I would gain tremendously in years to come. Um, so this year, after having, in that marriage, known that children were not going to be a part of our life, um, I gave that to God, and he met me there, and I was okay with not having children, though my dream had always been to have a brood of children. And this year, because of God's kindness, and I believe because we have delighted ourselves in him and he has given me the desire of my heart, we are conceiving our fourth child and uh, we'll be coming to a theater near you very soon. I have seen God hand my sister-in-law moved in a year and a half ago after a severe assault. Um, she was really badly hurt, um, and we extracted her from Zambia, Africa, to our home within 24 hours, where we never anticipated a year and a half of um, trying but beautiful time, um, only by the grace of God, only by his faithfulness, and all the things that I've already said, those promises, were Marvin and I able to love her, um, to be her sounding board, to be her safe place, and hopefully to be Jesus to her, 
Um, I could not do that on my own. There were times of conflict. There were times of forgiveness. There were times of great love. But sometimes you run dry, and Jesus just kept filling our house for her. And I praise God she is at our house this weekend. After having moved out, after spreading her wings, after flying so high, working so hard, um, she is being made whole. She's not there yet. And I pray that the day she is whole is when she accepts Jesus. But um, he has had his hand there too. Um, there's no denying. My children, Olivia, is growing in the light of the Lord in a way that I could have only dreamed of. And again, it's not to my credit. It's because the Lord has been gracious. He has been faithful. His word does not come back void. She's exposed to these words. And she's tucking them in her heart and she's reading. Um, friendships. I don't even know how to begin. Just encouragement. I've seen God's faithfulness because there's a certain kind of love that comes from Christ that is so unlike the world. And that again has been this church, but my core group, my, my small group, just praying praying for my family, praying for my sister-in-law, praying for this baby, praying circumstantially, um, and then showing physical love by showing up and just being the hands and feet of Christ. And uh, that's just so powerful to both of us. Uh, my list really could go on. I have, There are so many praises and uh, hurts and happinesses, and I praise God for all of them because I know... He is in control. I wish I could read them all to you, but uh, we can share a lifetime talking about them, if that's okay with you. So, thank you. Two more. Have you ever had somebody who's just a friend? There's no questions asked about it. You just know that they are for you. You know that if you had a need in 30 seconds, they would be there without complaint, whatever was happening, saying, I'm in. Uh, this is what Paul has been for many of us, me included, uh, in years with us, in a couple of years in New York, and now years back with us. Um, so he's a gift to us and to our church. They're going to be inheriting the home that's been used to spread the fragrance of Christ on Swain's Pond. And I can't wait to see what the Lord does with them through that house. He's going to come and share to you guys now. Good morning. My name is Paul. For the for for those that don't know me, um, my wife is standing in the back with Olivia, and I have three more kids downstairs: Micah, Evan, and Abigail. For the sake of time and for me not rambling, I'm just going to read straight off of this. And I'm just going to ask that the Spirit does what he does. We live in Melrose and recently became members of Seven Mile Rose again. Um, um, just to give you a little backdrop, we were members here a few years ago and moved back to New York City after getting clarity on direction for ministry. Um, after the Ox track, after seminary, we wanted to know, God, where are you calling us? Once we were back in New York, though, things didn't line up exactly as planned, and the Lord continued 
to withhold opportunities from us, and rightly so. Because after much reflection on the past few years and the years before that, I wasn't ready for what I was seeking and what I was desiring. So in the words of the uncle, wise Uncle Ben of Spider-Man, with great, respons- great power comes great responsibility. And, I, and the Lord knew that I just was not ready, not yet. And maybe never, who knows. As time passed and as I was waiting, there was a growing sense of entitlement and pride in my heart. Pride doesn't always show up in the form of, I'm better than you, I'm better than her, I'm better than him. Or it doesn't necessarily always show up and look at me and look how great I am. But it does surface in the heart attitude of, I know better than you, Lord, and it's just not fair. This had a trickle-down effect. I became resentful, which led to bitterness, which led to hardness of heart. I started to become shorter towards Jenny. I left my anger unchecked towards my children. As my sins became more apparent, I justified it as if it was owed to me and if it was okay. And I continued to sin against the Lord, Jenny, and my children. In order to save it, I had to fight for our marriage. And so we entered marital counseling. I had to confess my sin, repent, and work on our marriage through counseling. During the process of counseling, the Lord gave us an opportunity to come back here in Boston through my job, and so we did. After the counseling, after a year living here, both Jenny and I could say that we are in such a better place than we had ever hoped, a better place in our marriage and so much more hope for what's to come. It's not perfect. We're not there yet. It's a work in progress. And there are times when both of us, honestly, would never have thought it was even possible to get to this point. Now, reflecting on the past year, I can say two things. First, gospel community matters. And second, God is faithful. One of the reasons we relocated was because of the community here. So when the job came up, we knew we had a church that we would love to go back to and jump into community with, a gospel-centered community. This is not to say that our previous church didn't have that or didn't do it right. In fact, I wouldn't say it's their fault at all. And I don't want you to hear that Seven Mile Road is the only place where you can find good gospel community, and it's the only place that does it well. But for numerous reasons, we just struggle to live life together with the brothers and sisters there. I remember when we made the decision to come back here, calling Cruz and talking to him on the phone. He made sure to emphasize that the elders and the men here would love me, be walking with me, but also keep me accountable to loving Jenny and my children well. He also emphasizes the women here would also do the same for Jenny. He reaffirmed that you all would help us fight for our marriage. For those of you who have lived intimately with us, Matt, Glenn, your families, the gospel coming before that with, you know, I can't even think of names. I'm blanking on everybody. The Christiansons. I forget your names. <laughs> I'm blanking, but everyone here, you know who sat in that first gospel community with me, and I just confessed my sin. I, we're thankful. And for those who are committed and who aren't necessarily in our same community, but are committed to pursuing godly community, I'm thankful for you guys as well. I know this sexy thing in big churches is to have a lot of programs, to be a mega church, and to have a lot of resources. But honestly, it is a God-given grace to have a local church living local life together with local community groups. Jenny and I are both healthier because of it. More importantly, Jenny and I have seen how faithful God is even when we weren't and aren't. The process of reconciliation and healing isn't an easy ride. 
there is a lot of dying to self. There were times when we had to confess sin by name and repent of it, even when our pride would beg us not to. There are times when we heard those confessions that we didn't want to forgive and be gracious to each other because we thought, here we go again, or I don't deserve this. But in those moments, in those hard moments of disobedience, God softened our hearts towards him and towards each other. God really does provide the means through his spirit to be obedient even when we don't know the outcome. We don't know what it's going to be like or if we don't know if it's going to be in our favor. Honestly, we never imagined that we would even be here together at this point. Those small, difficult moments of dying to self and trusting in Christ began to bear fruit in our marriage in the past year, and we can now say that we have more hope for it than ever before. Do you ever have those moments for you families out there just watching your family and being thankful for having them in your life? As we watch the chaos that has four kids under six in our home, we have those moments a lot. And had it not been for God's faithfulness and his fight to redeem and restore marriages, we wouldn't have those moments anymore and we'd be a broken home. We're thankful for the work that he's doing in us and in our church and the work he's doing here. I can tell you that there is hope and that hope is found in Christ and trusting in his word. Thank you. Jesus' simple command to his church is to make disciples. That's our overarching call. So we have been doing that with Ralph, who landed in the States from Haiti for two years. We've opened the Bible with his cat. We have answered hundreds of questions, (laughs) lots of questions, eaten lots of donuts, and loved on him. And in the last few Weeks and months, his heart has come alive and a desire to come down to the table with this family around the body and the blood of Christ triggered in him the the question to say, what is that about? And when you invite us to the table, you're speaking my language of my heart. And so today we've been discipling Ralph and Jesus's command is to make disciples and then very quickly baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded them. So we've been discipling this guy, and today we'll be baptizing him, but we will first give him the mic and let him read from his sloppy words on there. (laughs) All right, bro. My name is Ralph. Uh, I'm saying right now going to get wet. Uh, yes, <laughs> sorry. Uh, because uh, I'm a believer, just like any one of you here, and wanted to sh- to be baptized to show that I'm ready for what's to come, and that Jesus had died for me so that my sins could be forgiven and washes away and to purify my body from all things unrighteous. Thank you. That's all. Uh, We're going to pray for Ralph before we formally baptize him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for that beautiful, simple confession of faith that, like each one of us, we're commanded to repent and believe because something true has happened. 
Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And there is forgiveness and hope and cleansing available in him and putting our trust in him. And, and I love Ralph's words that he is standing before us today and looking forward for what's to come. I pray that this would be the most godly, young, Haitian-American man in the greater Boston area in the next years, that the fire that comes with the Holy Spirit of God being given to us would burn in his bones, and that he would pursue you with all that he's got, that you would continue to make yourself strong and beautiful in him, that this would be a home where he can continue to be discipled, and disciple us as we see him giving all that he has to follow Christ. You said that anyone who would follow you must take up their cross and just die completely to their old self and the love of this world. And today as we baptize Ralph and we see the picture of that, I pray that it would be true in him, that he would be dead to the old and alive to the new, and the grace of Jesus would be tangible in this life. Thanks for your abundant grace to bless the work of the gospel that we're after in obedience to you, that a harvest will come in your time, and we rejoice in it together today. Amen.